Musicpreneur.com. Great moments are born from great opportunity. A society either rises or falls to the level of its art. If you're good at something, never do it for free. You love music. You've devoted your life to music. Why sell yourself short by sharing your life's passion working for, quote, the man? You musicians, you're too, too musical. <laughs> Netflix is not your friend, people. Get off the couch, take a shower, comb your hair, and get out there. You're not doing it for the money. You're doing it for what the money says. And it says what it says to any player that makes big money, that they're worth it. We could have allowed it to steal our joy, but instead it steeled our inner fortitude. You spend time with your family? Because a man who doesn't spend time with his family can never be a real man. The world will point out every reason why I should just quit, but I won't quit for one reason, because I say so. To assist in your journey of making money making music, the musicpreneur.com podcast starts now. Here's your host, James Newcomb. Welcome to the musicpreneur.com podcast. You are hearing the voice of James Newcomb, your loyal and friendly host of the show. And we are back talking about the quest for community. As I mentioned in the previous episode with Jason Heath of Contrabass Conversations, I began it by saying that uh, a common theme that I have found uh, translates to success as a musician and entrepreneur or a musicpreneur is focusing on community. And one of the people that really stuck out from my from my interviews from years past as someone who has really, really put a focus on that community and just rapport with people listening to his music is my guest on today's show. His name is Matt Steady. We can find him on the web at mattsteady.com. There's no fancy way to spell it. It's just Matt, M-A-T-T, and the word steady.com. And he has a brand new album out. And I was just listening to the album right before we pressed record on the show here. And um, Matt, thanks for being here, man. Oh, thanks for having me back. Well, tell us about your new album. Okay, well, it's called Noglin, the Sacred Nine. Noglin, um, okay, that's more difficult to spell than your name. So, <laughs> yes, that's right. And um, oh, it's great fun. I mean, I was just saying, um, for me, um, I've released something like I can't remember if it's seven or eight albums in the last few years, and I've really mm-hmm. been pushing myself to keep being positive, and making more music, and always um, trying to make more contacts and all that. And frankly, I was just getting really quite. <laughs> tired and exhausted so what i did was i took a break over christmas and then i thought you know what i'm just going to make some music for myself forget whether or not it's going to appeal to anybody forget whether it's going to be for anyone else i'm just going to make some music for me so i did some really relaxing uh, meditative thoughtful music of a different style than i normally would and thoroughly enjoyed it and it's really recharged my batteries and um on the positive side a lot of people seem to have really connected with it um and it's gone down well as well so that's that's a a bonus as well. Yeah, in my experience, anytime that um, I'm I'm in need of something therapeutic, or I I do something for myself for like a self help or self therapy type of thing, why not just let people know what you're up to? Because if you know if it's if it's helpful to you, why not maybe see if it can help somebody else too? Absolutely, and also what with the uh, what with COVID and all that, and doing homeschooling, which was. Not something I planned on this year, right. which, uh, homeschooling a bunch of children. 
I'm really glad I was doing this project. If I if I kind of had a deadline for an album and I had to get things done by a certain date and all that, and I was doing the homeschooling and trying mm. do everything else that I'm doing. Then how many uh, How many kids are you homeschooling? Just the two. The two. Um, we've actually got four children. We've got mm-hmm. three adopted and mm-hmm. one birth child. Um, okay. And we have also just started fostering. So we've actually got another two now. So it's a, a big, noisy, full, fun household. You know, we, we last spoke two or three years ago. And I was just love that story. I, I, I'm going to try to remember, see if I can re- accurately recall your story. You had a, a somewhat lucrative position in the corporate world. and uh, But you just realized there's more to life than making a bunch of money somewhere, and you set out on your own as a musician. You got a little encouragement from friends, family members, what have you, and, and you just said, I'm just going to make a go of this. Am I recalling this accurately? Yes, that's pretty much it. I mean, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I was making millions or anything like right. that. Right. Just kind of middle management, I guess, at a, mm-hmm. um, in an IT department of a, a retail clothing company. And I loved what I did, and yeah. I loved the team. But as I kind of got up the ladder... I realized that I didn't want to be like the other people on the rungs that I was reaching. Mm -hmm. And I just looked around me at the other managers and I just thought, I can't be like you. I don't want to be like you. They weren't bothered about even the projects or the people working for them. It was all looking after yourself. And and if I'd stayed there, I would have had no choice but to become like that, really. But I don't do anything. I didn't just hand in my notice and then think, right, I need to do some music. (laughs) I kind of transitioned it. uh, you know, I saved up for a bit yeah. to make sure I wasn't going to fall flat on my nose because I knew it wasn't going to just soar off. And actually, when I did leave and had my notice in, they asked me to stay on for a bit longer for another six months to uh, get a project in, which I did. It was a pretty tough project, but it was it was good. But to be honest, as soon as I handed the envelope in, all the stress had gone, all the angst, and actually I was quite happy to work there and do my bit for that, making sure I was focusing on the team and um, really trying to put in as much input as I can. What did what did you tell these people when you gave your notice? Like, this is it. I'm going to be a musician. Is that what you told yeah, them? Yeah, basically. <laughs> really? What was their reaction? Well, they knew I was already. I already was a musician. It's not like yeah, I, yeah. I wasn't a musician right. before. Um, right. I've been, you know, playing instruments since I was knee high to a grasshopper, and um, you know, for a good few years at the company I was working for, they knew I was creating music, and I'd already released one album. Oh, okay. Um, while I was there, which is hard work when you're doing it in the evenings by you know in the middle of the night same with a podcast <laughs> yeah it's you know it's it's what most people normally have to do to be fair and it's, but if you're uh, telling like your boss like it's d- definitely bucking conventional wisdom like take 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 a hobby what most people regard as a hobby and, and you say this is going to be my business well yes <laughs> I think some people still look at me and think I'm absolutely crackers. Um, you know, I mean, if you compare the money I'm making now to what I was before, it's not even remotely comparable. You know, I'm, I think I'm possibly within range of minimum wage, not quite, but nearly, which doesn't sound like a lot. But actually, in the context of our family and, and my wife's work and all that, it's it's great. And it's enabling me to be the person I need to be, apart from anything mm-hmm. else. Um, and I can be who I am and do what I need to do and focus on the people I want to focus on and be creative. And it's it's brilliant. And as I said, it, I am a full-time musician, but I'm actually a full-time dad as well. So it's not really fair to say that my only full-time job is the music. So I, there's a lot that goes on 
around, obviously, especially with fostering as well. So, but I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky. I've got a very supportive family, very supportive wife. Um, and we're in a position where we can do this. And I've got a lovely bunch of friends and followers and listeners who help me. They, they buy my music and they, they interact with me and they cheer me up and they talk to me. And uh, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. So it doesn't feel like it's me against the world. It feels like there's a whole big bunch of people and we're all kind of doing it together. It just happens that I make a lot of the music, but it does feel like a big team effort. When you were going from you're working your corporate job and you're doing music in the evenings and weekends, whenever, basically whenever you have time for it, what were you doing at that time when you are anticipating leaving that job? At what point did you begin thinking, this is going to be my career, this is going to be my job? And when you when you made that realization, what are some of the things that you did to start to earn that loyalty or build the rapport with people who enjoyed your music and enjoyed you? Well, I kind of started that probably about a year before. Okay. I suspect there's a lot of people here that will really connect with this little story, but my first album, Blood is Thicker Than Gold, I poured my heart and soul into that. It was the first time I'd ever written any songs, even, and I'd written all these songs, and they're just kind of random songs, and I put them together on an album, and I released it, and I bought a whole stack of CDs, and didn't really sell any. <laughs> I think, what's going on here? And right. it's... You know, it suddenly occurs to you, why did I think people were suddenly going to buy this? No one knows it's here. And it sounds really stupid, but actually, I think a lot of musicians do that, unfortunately. So anyway, yes, that was a bit of a shock and a bit of a lesson learned. I wouldn't swap what I did for anything musically. You know, you do it differently now than you would do a few years back, obviously. And there's a lot of, of I've improved in a lot of different ways, um, especially because I do my own production and mixing mm-hmm. and mastering and all that side of it as well. But I'm really, really pleased with it. But it made me kind of go and start researching. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, well, what, what did you what did you learn? How what how did you go about researching and learning how to reach out to people? Well, I I read every blog I could, read okay. every video that I could, um, and what I discovered was most of the helpful videos and blogs and all that weren't actually very helpful. What they were actually trying to do was to t- to sell you courses. Got it. So they weren't about me. They were about the people making the course. And there's a huge amount of that. And I think there's a lot of people paying a huge amount of money for different courses that actually really have been made to make money by making courses as opposed to really being a resource for musicians. There are notable exceptions, obviously. But I think a lot of musicians in my particular scenario think, well, if I spend X thousand on these courses, then I'm going to be in a position where I can sell my next album for 50 grand or you know what i mean i'm gonna make all these magical sales and it just doesn't really happen like that in the real world where you're an independent musician no one is going to pay you a salary no one is going to give you money for an album you you kind of really need to go individually and you need to make a lot of connections and a a lot of friends with people who like your kind of music and it's an amalgamation of lots of little things mm-hmm. that add up to make a living. So for me, I don't think of myself as having a, a following or a fan base. I think of myself as having a friend called Bob. I've got a friend called Sandra. I've got a friend called Julie. You, you know what I mean? Um, these are all individual people that I've got to know, mm-hmm. and we like the same kind of music, and they like my music, and actually we're friends. You know, and eventually they support you with your Patreon or they support you with um, buying music. 
and they're sharing stuff about and introducing you to you to their other friends and stuff like that. So it's more, it is more like, as you say, a community. Yeah. I think it's more like, it's a bit like an old fashioned shop. Let's just say a, a baker's or a butcher's. The people in the, yes, you're selling stuff, but actually you're a service for a community. People come in, you know them by name. Yeah. You know what they want. You give them their change. You talk to them about the weather. You know, if they're having a problem, you try and help them. Um, if they can't afford much bread this week, you pop some extra in. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, and I think although the world seems to be moving away from that model of doing things, and it's all going through the massive corporate structures of Amazon and Apple and Google and everything, and everything seems to be pushing us in the direction of online shopping. And you miss that personal stuff. But let's not go on to shopping, but you, you get the drift. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, it was a case of I need to get in contact with as many people as I can who like the kind of music that I do and that are the kind of people that I am so we can make friends, have this community, and I can give them the opportunity to have this music. And the real mindset clinch for me was, was I hated trying to sell my music. I felt like a sleazy second-hand car salesman or, or someone going around door-to-door and trying to sell things to people that didn't want it. And the real mindset changer is when you realize, actually, for the people that you're approaching, you're doing them a favor. This is something that they wouldn't have the opportunity to do otherwise. And you are giving them an opportunity and helping them out. It's not a case of, I want your money. Buy my album here. Here's a load of links and lots of spam. It's a case of, it is. It's much more like making friends, making connections, and just enjoying other people. And it, it just so happens that that leads to following and it leads to people supporting you when you do crowdfunding, when you've got a, a Patreon and just bringing everything forward, really. You know, everything you're talking about, any genuine entrepreneur is going to resonate a lot with what you're saying. You build um, rapport with people. And if you come across as always selling something, if that's like your number one priority, of course, it's going to show up in every, every interaction you have with them. So I think that what you just said would resonate with um, a lot of people who are, who are in business for the right reasons. But it's, it's interesting how musicians view their own, and, and it's, people are going to cringe when I say this, but their product, you know, you, it's, it's almost... Uh, it's such an oxymoron to refer to your music, a creation that is so intimately tied to you as a product. Yeah, you see, unfortunately, the music that I make is financially worthless. Okay. Anybody can go and listen to it for free. My product isn't my CDs. My product isn't my music. My product is me. Yes, very well said. And again, there's a real thing you've got to get the mindset across. If you start worrying that people are going to be copying your music, and therefore you've lost a sale, you've got your head in the wrong game. You want to be giving your music to as many people as you possibly can. You want to be getting it out there. If people like it enough, if people like me enough, they will support me. They will find a way to support me. So yes, they, they may listen to my album on Spotify and not pay tuppence for it. If they like it enough, and if they connect with me as a person enough, and they want me to bring out more music, they will then support me in other ways. They'll either buy a shirt um, off my website, or when the crowdfunding comes for the next album, they'll pop pop a little something in, which will help out. Or even if it's just telling everyone they found this person. So it spreads 
spreads the word, if you see what I mean. And so there's more people that get to know you. But really, I have to make myself be as honest and as open and genuine as I can be because I am my own product. I have to be absolutely true to who I am, not try and be someone I'm not. And people connect with truth and genuineness genuinicity <laughs> genuinicity whatever creating new words musicpreneur.com musicians are a little different from other entrepreneurial type uh, type of minds because uh, let's let's say it's a like a business coach just for example or a tennis coach or something you know you promote yourself and you make people aware of what you're doing and how well you do it, and you have the social proof, and you have this uh, scarcity that you that you're creating. But you are when people hire you, you're it's a badge of honor to refer to them as a client, sure, sure, or a customer, and you're building up a relationship with your client or your customer, and you do your service for them, you build up your rapport, and you both go on your happy way. Your client does what he or she does. You do you live your life. And everybody's happy. It's not quite the same as you've just described. Like you're building up real relationships, lasting that go way beyond just listening to your latest album. Yeah, actually, I mean, as we're speaking here, I can see in Facebook, I've got a, a lovely lady from America telling me about how their sprayed parcels that are coming in and out and all this kind of stuff. And you know, we we probably chat once every couple of days or something. You know what I mean? And there's a, there's a few people I would I would count as really very very good friends. Uh, that I've met from this. There's a lot of people I count as friends, and but there's some absolute crackers there as well. But I'm in an interesting position where I'm kind of both because I've got my music side, mm-hmm. and then I've got my my own personal music, and then I've got my producer, mixer, mm. yeah. um, remote session uh, musician, gunslinger for hire <laughs> persona as well. And they are the same person, obviously, but they you do have to treat them slightly differently. Mm-hmm. One thing I think is really hard for a musician compared to a lot of other businesses, in a way, it is just selling a product, whatever the product is. The really difficult thing about being a musician is the price points. Price points. Uh, Let's just go back to, right, we're trying to sell CDs or downloads, okay? They're a tenner a pop. If someone's going to get a download, you you know, and by the time you've actually bought made the cds and sent them off and all that kind of stuff your price point is actually really low so there's a lot of business things that you could easily if you were selling a a course or something for 500 pounds you can invest in adverts you don't need very many people to, to buy your course or whatever to make money back on adverts for however else you want to distribute the knowledge of what it is you're doing um but with music because the price point is very low there's a lot of things that I, I feel don't work very well. Personally, I have tried doing things like Facebook adverts and all that. And with the help of some people that do a lot of a lot of this kind of stuff, so they know what they're doing. In some cases, we kind of made the money back, but it never really kind of shot off. And the main reason for that is that even when you get people buying stuff, there's not really that much money coming in. So I think it's just a point that's worth making. I think low price point, products are really hard to make a lot of money on you've got to sell stacks of them to make any money yeah it's not like you can go and put five hundred dollar say my album is five hundred dollars exactly it doesn't work that way no it doesn't because <laughs> everybody else is selling theirs for ten dollars but i would say if you're selling yourself mm-hmm. 
then you do occasionally get someone who will actually, when you've got a crowdfunding, buy an absolute stack of stuff or buy one CD mm-hmm. and then put a couple hundred quid in on top because your product isn't just your CD, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Um, and I've got some lovely, lovely people who support me by buying way more than one CD. And, you know, I'm at pains to tell them that they're very special to me because that means a lot. It really mm-hmm. does. Yeah. Uh, and I wouldn't be doing it without that kind of people. There's two things, really. You kind of get, for me, I get about half of the stuff coming in, which is lots of tiny little bits. And for every one of those little bits that come in, each single download of a song or, you know, it's only a few P, but it does add up. Um, And if you add that up with all the people doing it, it's really, very, very helpful. And then you've also kind of got your, I don't know what you call them, super fans or friends that you know intimately and they support you to a much bigger extent. And between the two of them, it kind of works. I have tried some bigger ticket items like um, selling custom-made songs. So that, that's a lot of fun. Um, and I do sell those occasionally. So, um, And they go down really well. I was looking on your website and you have uh, like a USB collection of all of your albums. You also have a, like a journal? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I bought these handmade leather journals and I signed them obviously. You know, I can either put a lyric in the front page or, a, or something. And they really took off on the last album. It was ridiculous. I sold absolutely stacks of them. Well, they weren't particularly expensive. They weren't expensive to buy, and they weren't mm-hmm. particularly expensive to sell. And then I had a nightmare because sending them to the States, they were just a little bit too thick <laughs> to go in. The, and so the postage cost me about eight quid to send them to, to America. How so, much is a quid? Oh, a pound. Oh, okay. So like probably 12 or $13. Yeah, probably. It's like, oh, for goodness sake, completely. <laughs> um, so I didn't really make very much of the ones that went to uh, America. But the, the, for me, yes, it would have been helpful if I made more money out of that. But actually, people loved them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I'm really chuffed that there's 40, 50, 60 people with these journals are absolutely thrilled to bitch them. I've had so much positive feedback on them. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're really gorgeous things. So, But um, I find that with the higher price stuff, less people buy them, obviously. I think almost you need to know a musician really well before you start doing that, buying that kind of stuff, because you've got to build up a trust. How do you build up trust? Like, take us from like the first. You, how do you meet people? Where do you go? It depends. And I mean, let's let's say, for instance, I've just done a collaboration with John Reed or Sam Jefferson, or I've played violin on someone's, you know, and you, and you get people who've commented on the video saying they liked it. Yeah, so I make friends with those, and I'll. I'll Send a message saying, hi, I saw you, saw you liked that. I'm Matt, I played violin on this. What other kind of music do you like? You know, who, do you, who do you normally listen to? And you know, Back and forth and kind of get to know each other. Because once you know someone's musical taste, you, you, you start to know them quite well, I think. Yeah. Um, it's a good indicator of the kind of, of who they are when they explain their musical tastes. Um, <laughs> it is. As long as it's not Little Mix or something, we'll, we'll be all right. So at some point, generally, they'll either introduce themselves to my music or I'll introduce them to the music or I'll say, oh, have you heard this one yet? Or, you know, what do you think about this? If you liked that particular blues song, does this folk one, is that something you're interested in just out of curiosity or are you literally just liking the blues? Hmm. You know, and it just has to be natural as the conversation. And again, you're introducing people. But generally, you're looking to get people on on your newsletter because then you can share with them what you're doing. And in the newsletter, as long as you're not doing sales, 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 sales all the way through it, 
You should be explaining about like, funny stories about gigging. You should be silly things your kids have done. My bike's broken down again and what I had to do to fix it. You know, anything with a bit of humor and anything with that explains who you are a little bit more um, is, is, is really helpful. But yeah, for me, an unknown independent musician, I'm not sure I'd buy something very expensive of them because I don't even know if they exist. For all I know, you know, it could be someone in a far-flung country that's just put a website up and I don't even know who they are. So you've got to be a real person. People have got to connect with that person, I think, and you build up trust just by being genuine and being concerned about other people. So when you're talking to other people, if you're just talking about yourself all the time, that's quite boring. You know, you need to be talking about them, asking them questions. So rather than telling them about what I like in music, ask them about their music. Who have you gone to see? What was the best, what's the best gig you've ever seen? In my emails, I always ask a question so people can send a reply back so I can get to know them a bit better and they feel like they've kind of contributed. It's not like, you know, you kind of get the, the charity stuff coming through your door saying, donate to this. It's completely opposite to that. It's, it's much more like being the local town baker. <laughs> local town baker. I think the last time we spoke, you re- compared yourself to the ice cream man. Oh, did I? Yeah, ice cream van, that's good. You got yourself a promotion. No, ice cream van, I like that, because uh, no one ever complains that an ice cream man's come around and tried to sell you an ice cream. Musicpreneur.com Do you put your stuff on, like, Apple, Spotify, stuff like that? I, I do, I do. I've, I've got friends who don't, and they are absolutely passionate about it. And I 100% agree with them. I think I'm in so two minds about streaming. I don't think personally for me it has contributed anything to me being more well-known, right? me having more followers and listeners, or contributed financially to me. I think it has contributed financially to the companies that do the streaming. Personally, I think it's a massive rip-off. But what I do recognize is that streaming is incredibly convenient. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant for the, for the consumer it is one of the best things since sliced bread. Not having to have your CDs and records and all that, and you can just access it anywhere you like, just like that. It's absolutely magical. And people who stream, stream. And most of them only stream now because it is so convenient. If you're not on there, they can't listen to you. No matter how much they love you and love your music, if you're not on the platform, they're not going to listen to you. So that's where I come from. So for me, as a, almost as a public service, I put my stuff on there. And then people can listen to it and they've got the option of listening to it. One of the things I find very irritating about streaming, you don't know who listens to you. Yeah. They might say, yes, two people in California have listened to you this week. That's absolutely naffle use to me. If I can't put them on an emailing list or contact them on Facebook and say, thank you for listening. I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. What did, how did you get on with it? It's useless. So I can't grow my following with streaming. For me, it doesn't work like that. Because my following isn't I people just listening to the music. It's I need that connection. I can't get that connection. How much does it cost you personally and financially to put your stuff on Apple and Spotify? It's free. Um, if you're a musician and you want to get it on there, someone's trying to convince you to put it to sell you a service to put it on there. You don't need to. There are several companies that will do it absolutely for free. Uh, I use one called Amuse, A-M-U-S-E. And anyone can go on there and put whatever they like pretty much onto all the streaming platforms for free. If you want to know why, you can look at their website. They've got, they have got a business model and they do make money. But you can do that, and I do that. So it doesn't cost me anything. It costs me in time. 
How much time does it take? Oh, not a lot, really. Right. Um, and most of the prep work really is in me sorting out all the ISRC codes and registering everything with PRS and PPL. And you've got to kind of do that if you're going to do a CD anyway. It's not really a big problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ha- as I said, I've got friends who are, who are very militant about streaming and don't put their stuff on there. And they're absolutely furious about it. And they are correct. It is helping to destroy the industry. Hmm. Unless you're in the very, very top tier, you don't make any money from streaming. Um, and those top tier people are going to make money anyway, whatever they're going to do. Everyone else, it, it, it really is just, it is taking the mick when you see what they get paid. It's When I ever look and see what comes through on mine, it's, it's laughable, really. <sighs> well, I'm trying to compare a musician making their music available for streaming on Apple, Spotify, etc., and compared to a podcast, a podcast, uh, this podcast, I can just tell people at the very end, like once we finish recording this, I can just put on a little thing and say, go to musicpreneur.com slash whatever. And I have a little call to action. You can't do that with a song. No, you can't. It's, um, it's, <laughs> it's difficult. <laughs> streaming, unfortunately, I don't, it's not going away. Let's face it. There's yeah. no way streaming is going away. You, you need to make it part of the song. You need to make it the last lyric. Go to mattsteady.com. <laughs> yeah. But it's difficult because without that personal connection to me, mm-hmm. I'm just an unknown musician to them. And even if they right. like it, they'll just put it in their library and then listen to it again. They're not going to go and buy a CD. People who discover me on streaming, if by any magical chance they do, aren't going to do that. So really, I've just kind of gone, whatever. I'm going to put it on there. Then my listeners who know and love me, it's great for them. They can go and listen to it on there. Those other people don't know me from Adam anyway, Yeah. Um, who only stream and don't know who I am. So does it matter? They might as well listen to it. I think you can get cross about a lot of things and you can get aerated and stressed. And actually, sometimes you just got to go, I can't control this. This is the best thing I can do. Mm-hmm. And I make it as a positive. So I can explain in my emails, here's my link to the new album on Spotify or Apple, you know, I'm, I'm singling out Spotify. They're all as bad as each other, including YouTube. But I can put on there, I'm putting it up on there. I'm not going to make any money from you listening to it particularly. I'm putting it there as a service mm-hmm. to you, as a gift from me to you. You can listen to it on there. You know, so I can at least put my point of view across to my people, you know, um, the people that I've got that connection with. So they know why I'm doing it. But sometimes you just got to kind of just go, I don't need the stress of this. And you've got to let it go. Does it sound like I've let it go? Probably not. You've come to a place where you have a healthy mindset. It sounds to me like your attitude is, it's there. I may as well use it. It's not going to, I don't expect it to really build what I'm currently doing, but I may as well do it. Why not? Exactly. I don't think it's costing me anything. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's the point. I don't think it's costing me anything. Well, I've heard, I've, ta- I've spoken to, I don't, I don't know what kind of conversations you've had, but I've had conversations with people or I've listened to podcasts with uh, people who are really like in that top tier that you mm. mentioned, like they're gonna they're gonna be successful no matter what, sure. And, and they can't stand streaming. Ah, uh, that is interesting because they have to they they can't rely on album sales anymore. They have to spend they're t- spending two hundred fifty three hundred days a year on the road touring so they can make a living. So uh, like it or hate it, it's different. Musicpreneur.com. It also gives people like you you know, an, an opportunity to build a fan base or a, a, a following and make your living doing music. Yeah, it, it does. Um, I personally haven't managed to crack the thing that means I get more followers from putting stuff 
streaming. There's a lot of people say, if you manage to get it on these playlists, do, 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 mm-hmm. then it can expand and you can, and then you talk to them and you think, great, you've made 30 quid that month. Well, I wasn't necessarily talking about streaming, but just the technology that's available. Like you can, you can record your own album in, oh, it's amazing. in your attic. You know, 20 years ago, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing. I literally make my albums here. I I often get my drums done by someone else because I'm not a great drummer, and I love having other guests on it. But essentially, I can make a whole album in here, and I can distribute it across the world. I can communicate with people across the world and tell them it's there. I don't need to leave my attic. It is absolutely remarkable. I've got really, really good friends in America, in Belgium, Israel, uh, Scotland. I mean, honestly, it's ridiculous. And the internet is just fabulous. I don't do a lot of gigging. I certainly don't do any at the moment, obviously. Um, but I didn't do a huge amount of gigging before that um, with the family we've got. And also we do martial arts and various other bits and bobs as well. We take the kids to a lot of activities. I don't actually have a massive amount of time for gigging. Um, and mm. when I have done it, I haven't found it very financially rewarding. Not enough to make me think I need to sacrifice my family time to do it. Got it. You know, if it was bringing in a whole stack of cash, it'd be worth the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. But I'm certainly glad that my income isn't based on gigging now because it's literally Oof. just disappeared. The plug's gone. So mm. I've got good friends, musicians, who are now on universal credit and have literally got no money coming in because it was all based on gigging mm. most nights of the week mm. and selling a few CDs here and there. And actually, I'm in the very fortunate position that I just happened not to have gigging as my main focus. So I'm really hoping it comes back and you know these people can get back on the horse and I hope people appreciate live music more. I think everybody's going to appreciate everything more when things, <laughs> so. things like having some money in the bank in case a, a global pandemic comes. I think people are going to be a little more not as careless and carefree as they were before. We've had such a long time of buying lots of stuff on the internet, talking to people on the internet, and not really leaving the house very much. And I hope people go, do you know what? Now we can. I'm leaving the house. I'm going yes. to the local shop. I'm going to go and see my friends. I'm going to go down to the pub. I'm going to go and go to this gig. Mm-hmm. And I hope they just don't be lazy and just <laughs> think, actually, this is quite nice. I can just sit on my sofa and order everything and <laughs> chat to my friends on Skype. And, you know, it's, that's not the new world that I want. You know, I'd like a little bit more personal interaction than that. It's not quite the same. I mean, this is amazing because we wouldn't be doing it otherwise. Yeah, I'm in Virginia. You're in Leicester, England. It's, it's, it's miraculous almost, and it's absolutely fantastic. There's good and bad, and I felt when all of this COVID-19 came, I was actually in Vietnam with my brand new wife. Oh, congratulations. Oh, thanks. But like, there was zero COVID-19 in Vietnam. I think they had maybe 100, maybe 200 cases the entire country. My goodness. This place is directly south, maybe maybe a four-hour flight from Wuhan, the epicenter. And, yeah, and I was just... You know, I was just talking to people, and there was maybe a two-week slowdown where things in Vietnam kind of kind of slowed down a little bit. There's certainly nothing like the shutdowns that and the lockdowns that have that have been here in in um, the U.S. Yeah. and the U.K. and whatnot. So I'm just going to say one more thing. There's a lot of musicians, obviously, that are really very out of pocket at the moment, and also music venues. And there's a lot of music venues kind of doing virtual support gigs and stuff like that to try and keep the venues open. And it is really important. But one thing I think is really important to say is there are two types of venue. There are some music venues that I would move heaven and earth to try and help. Mm. And they know who they are because 
they treat you with respect and you go in and you play your gig. They've made an effort. There's people there. Just silly things like they bring you cups of tea. Mm-hmm. Just just really silly things like that. And But then, you, then there's other venues and you're a commodity, you know, and you're, you're kind of being asked asked to play for free with a drink. You can have one drink kind of thing, you know, or this kind of stuff. And, you know, when you've been at those places several times and they're still not offering paying gigs and all that kind of stuff, you got to question when they ask you for the, for support to keep their venue open. You're thinking, but why? But it's those ones that, that put the effort and made those Absolutely. connections That's, with the musicians that are that they, the musicians are going to support. such a hard time at the moment. Yeah. And, you know, there's... There's some amazing venues in Leicester, not as many as they were, unfortunately, but there's, you know, right. there's three or four really, really good music venues in Leicester. Mm-hmm. How do they survive six months without a gig? Mm. I've got no idea. I really, really hope they're still there when we come out the back of this. Well, I mean, the ones that I, I think the ones that will survive, and this is just my opinion, it means nothing, but the ones that build that community and that rapport, just like you have with your, uh, th- with, with people yeah. that, that are into you and like, like your music. It's the same thing that rapport. It's it's kind of like building up equity in your bank account when you when you do things like that. And um, and again, often it's the little things. It's mm -hmm. not really about how much you paid. It's about how you're treated when you go in there. Treated with respect and and I think whatever kind of business you're in, um, I think that's number one rule, isn't it? Really, and so. It's also worth recognizing it's not just musicians. I think there's um, there's a whole host of people that, you know, in dire straits at the moment because mm. their industry has just kind of gone under. Mm. I mean, when you're talking about streaming, you'll other people have the same problem with streaming as well, so not even COVID-related. Authors have a tough time. Everyone expects books for free online because yeah. digital. Yeah. Uh, art, people will just steal your photos if they're on, on the internet yeah. and use them for yeah. free. Right. So it's very, very hard being a photographer or an artist. Or there's, there's lots. You know, it's not just oh, look at us poor old musicians. It's, it's, it's a tough old place. Um, again, it really is. It's the artistic. Um, it's the whole artistic side of our culture. Whilst people value it, they don't always value it with their wallets. If that makes any sense. Yes. Um, so I, I do recognise it's not just musicians. It's also lots, lots of other areas as well. Mm. Well, Matt, can you tell can you tell us the name of your album again? Norglan, the Sacred Nine. N a w w g l a n. There is a big story about what it's about. All right, tell us it's, the story. It's, it's, tell us the story. Oh, I was going to say you can just look it up on my website because I've explained it. I've got a video on there. But uh, basically, it is a concept album. So what, when I was younger, I read a trilogy of books by a guy called Stephen Lawhead. And it was based, set back in Celtic times. And it was about uh, the Celtic Christian monks. And one of the, they had a lot of practices that were, um, well, died out, I guess. They were very similar to the kind of religions that were there beforehand. Um, but one of the things they would do is in ceremonies, in fact, they still do this in Church of England, I think. Um, they have, um, they used to have an ash that they used to kind of put crosses on their foreheads. And, and this ash was made from burning nine different sacred woods from nine different trees. Mm-hmm. Um, and the monk would go and harvest from each of those trees, the wood. And as he was think, as he was, as he would go to an oak tree and he would harvest that, he would be thinking about the attributes of what an oak tree is, about the mm-hmm. strength, size, and uh, the fact that 
it provides shelter and he would be likening that to the characteristics of god mm-hmm. so he would be seeing what god is like in these nine different trees they would kind of remind him of things to be thinking about and be thankful for so although he would then make this ash and then use it in ceremonies actually the very harvesting of those trees was a religious experience in itself so what i've done basically i've done an album with nine different tracks on each one is called one of those trees and each one i've thought about the characteristics of those trees and uh, the kind of divine characteristics that makes any sense and trying to meditate on that and have that infusing the music as i was making it so each song is is has a different almost a different style and a different temperament and thought process behind it because it's about a different tree and those different divine characteristics of each tree and the name of the ash was norgland it was the sacred nine so there we go that's what the album is about and it's it's very different to anything else i've done Uh, i've kind of broken all the rules with it it starts off I, I normally I, I start off my album with a banger, so it comes in with some drums or something to grab people's attention. Oh, what's that? That sounds good. See, I listened so to I listen- the very first track, and I was expecting that. <laughs> and it was just like twelve seconds later. There's a cello for like a three second cello line, just one single note, and then another thirty seconds passes. There's another cello. It's very, very, very different from what I've heard from you. Yeah, it's got some Tibetan prayer bowls and then a gentle violin that comes in over the top. In terms of how to market an album, yes, I've broken all the rules on it. (laughs) Great fun, though. (laughs) All right. Well, you've broken all the rules, but you're having a great time doing it. Check them out, mattsteady.com. And we're talking about building community and building rapport with people and looking at people as more than customers, more than clients, but like friends family, building building a community, and uh, no like and trust. So, man, I just I just love everything that you've said and everything that you're about, and I really appreciate you taking some time to be on the show. Oh, you're so welcome. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Hey, everybody. If you enjoyed this interview with Matt Steady of mattsteady.com, I have some good news for you. The interview with both Jason Heath and Matt Steady and I have several other people that I'll be interviewing in the next couple of weeks. Uh, On the topic of community, as it pertains to musicians and making their living, or at least part of their living, with their music, I'm going to turn it into an ebook titled The Quest for Community. So if you'd like to be kept apprised of when that ebook is available, just join my email list. All you have to do is go to musicpreneur.com, and scroll down to the bottom of the homepage after you've read the scintillating copy on the front page of what is a musicpreneur. Just go down to the bottom, enter your email address, and you'll receive um, a little welcome email from myself. And you'll be kept apprised of when both this ebook is available, as well as other things that I think will be um, of interest to people who listen to the podcast. So go to musicpreneur.com, just type in your email address at the bottom on the form that you'll see right there, and I'll uh, keep you in the loop. So thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time. For more podcasts and resources on making money, making music, and to download the free musicpreneur.com mobile app, head on over to musicpreneur.com today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.